Hey, this is Taylor. This is Jake. And this is Dan. And this is Unicorn Finders, where we are on the search to eliminate the elusive unicorn factor in everyday people, businesses, and relationships. Hope you enjoy. All righty. What's going on, everybody? Happy uh, happy Thursday. Um, we are uh, on the struggle bus today. Colin just woke up, and Dan, Dan, um, Dan's taking the call because of a fire alarm that literally went yeah. off one yeah. minute before we were supposed to go live. So, Colin... Dan, it's good to have you, boys. Great to be, to be here. Um, so for those of you who are tuning in and you're like, what is Unicorn Finders? You see this on your LinkedIn feed, like down the road. Um, you're probably like, what, what, what the heck is this thing? So basically, me and Dan and Jake, who is not here today, we're all good friends outside of work. And when COVID hit, we we're like, we don't know how long we're going to be without seeing each other. So let's just have an excuse. Because like most guys, Colin, I'm sure you're, you can probably test to this. As most guys, we, we need an excuse to hang out with guy friends because if there's not an excuse, we just never hang out with them, right? So we need mm-hmm. an excuse to hang out. And so that's what we did. We created Unicorn Finders. And so three years later, we're still at it. Um, and we've definitely pivoted towards more, you know, discovering. I was telling Colin this backstage, really discovering the companies, doing the cool things uh, that you may have not heard of yet. So that's what we're excited to have Colin on the show. So enough of me running my mouth. Colin, it's nice to have you. If you want to give a quick intro just about you, yourself, and Jinx Drinks, and then we'll dive in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, it's great to be here. Thank you guys. Uh, one of the first things I noticed when listening to some of the other episodes is that you guys are actually friends and how that interactions come across actually makes it for a very interesting podcast. So uh, I like that because I've listened to quite a few startup podcasts in my day. Um, so a little bit myself, uh, I'm originally born and raised in Austin, Texas, went to school down at UT Austin, studied chemical engineering. Uh, I was much more interested in the fermentation of beer than I was uh, separating oil out to its various components. Uh, From that, uh, I always knew I also was kind of in that wanted to do something in the entrepreneurship realm, whether it was a snow cone stand uh, as a child to, uh, I kind of joked that the perfect storm of a background to end up starting a boozy punch company because I worked at a plastics manufacturing company. I did consulting work for a brewery. I did consulting work for a gel shot company. And then I, more nice. interesting, worked in South Africa for Anheuser-Busch, developing and launching one of their newer, most successful uh, non-acquisition products. Uh, and from that, I really knew that I was like, okay, this is something I want to do full time. Uh, and that's something kind of pointed me in this direction uh, to start Jinx with my co-founder, Maddie. Uh, and it was really Maddie's story that drove a lot of the aspects of the brand and the actual physical product itself. It was how can we kind of shift the alcohol culture and consumption to be a little bit more conscious of what people are consuming and also how it is Mm -hmm. being consumed. Because as many people know, uh, it is rife with issues uh, from the very earliest days of consumption uh, to the last days people are drinking. So there's a lot of room for improvement. How did did you and and Maddie meet? Uh, One of my best friends from middle school uh also went to stanford with her and when she was working on this product design course she was like i need to talk to someone who's now call and kind of near my age that potentially wouldn't mind hopping in to start a company with me uh someone who's kind of in a similar place of life but i actually got connected to her with a year prior uh to joining her and the context of the phone call was hey do you have five minutes to talk about this idea i have and an hour and a half later, uh, a few more conversations later, I ended up quitting my consulting job and joining her. So it's one of those moments where when you know you want to do something, you know. 
So, so can you talk about the story? I mean, can you talk about maybe Maddie's story and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and talk about, cause we love a good OG story, right? So yeah. kind of what, what made y'all go this route? Yeah. Uh, so Maddie's story is not the most, uh, awesome, uh, no. for lack of better words. Uh, so when she was an undergrad, she was what we considered to be one of the most high risk, uh, categories, someone who had no experience with drinking. And a lot of that came from formerly being Mormon. And so uh, it put her in these situations where she was a very social individual. She'd go out and see people drinking. She'd see people get handed red solo cups, don't know who made them, what was in them, super easy to mess with. And unfortunately, that story that she was watching when she started to begin her drinking career was something she unfortunately experienced herself. And because of that lack of alcohol uh, understanding and education, she was unable to assign the symptoms correctly to what she was experiencing. Uh, and unfortunately, this is an experience that one in six women alone face in undergraduate school. Dang. And it does not stop once you graduate and go to clubs or other house parties. Uh, drink tampering and overconsumption of alcohol is very prevalent across just the United States and globally. Yeah. And so it was with this idea that was like, how can she change? Because initially this was all her. How can she change the drinking culture? And yeah. so she was like, you know what? Let's make an app that educates frats on safer drinking habits uh that's not what we're doing today uh you could probably know that uh that was not what they wanted to hear that's not what they wanted to use and this created what we began to understand as this crazy dichotomy of the situation where people want to make safe decisions but in this moment where they're going out to release from the stresses of their life whether they're going to clubs or parties they don't want to feel like they're making safe decisions and they don't want to draw attention to the decisions they're making in these environments. Uh, and so it made it really difficult to try to come at it from just a purely educational point. So we're like, we need to make something that gets into this occasion that is physically just safer. And we coin it kind of like a stealth safety or stealth mm-hmm. health play, where we just try to make a better tasting product that is affordable and can show up in these environments it needs to be. And so the idea was if we put a straw in there, a form factor where say, the average prescription pill that could be used for uh, heinous deeds, like a Rufinol or something, uh, won't actually fit into our straw unless you crush it up and try to put it down there, unlike a can or a red solo cup. And so the idea is that straw provides a a physical deterrent to someone trying to tamper with it um, in a way that does not draw attention to you trying to make a safe decision, which is an extremely key element because there are other wonderful companies fighting that good mission of trying to put something over your cup, or uh, testing, but it's one of those situations where when you find yourself at a club, it's very hard to uh, remove yourself from that situation to yeah. feel comfortable to say like, yeah. oh, you just handed me this drink. Right. Hold up one moment. Let me get some light and run a little science experiment here to see if you had bad intentions or not. So it's one of those things where I think uh, it's just going to help simply by being there. And then after doing a couple hundred interviews uh, with early consumers, whether I was 21 plus college students to recent graduates, the single handed biggest culprit, in my opinion, that played into this uh, drink tampering element was people not understanding how much they were drinking. And it turns out nine in 10 adults do not understand what a single serving size across beer, wine or spirits is. And it was this issue that caused people to not feel confident in the decisions that they made the night prior. And so basically someone would say, did I drink too much or was my drink tampered with? And if they were pretty confident their drink was tampered with, but they weren't 100%, there would be no action on it. 
And so I think that's one of the biggest prevailing issues across the United States is the lack of alcohol awareness and education because it doesn't allow people to be held accountable, even holding yourself accountable in terms of what was your goal for the night? Because it's too easy these days in the world of RTDs, cocktails, IPAs. Am I having two drinks? Am I having one? Am I having half a drink? And most people aren't pulling out a calculator and trying to calculate the milliliters of ethanol and their triple hazy IPA. So, uh, yeah. or, or even a, a Miller Lite. So it's one of those things where there's just so much lack of understanding and it's not the situation to understand it based off of current packaging. I've um, recently been introduced over the last few years to, to festival world and EDC and that kind of stuff. And I know that these are becoming a lot more popular. I know liquid death uh, became very popular because it looked like you were drinking a beer. It looked like you were drinking a drink that everybody else was drinking. I know uh, Beatbox or Boombox, which does some mm -hmm. similar type of product that, that you guys do have the twist off caps and everything else. Do you continue to see this as a direction that the industry is going to go in? Because, you know, I, I think for me, you know, being here in Florida, a lot of people go to you know, go to the beach or they'll, they'll go out afterwards and they, they do get drunk because they don't know how much they're drinking. Do you continue to see the rise of kind of single served alcohol packaging to be kind of the way of the future as we do become more conscious of, you know, drugs and drinks and things of that nature? A, a thousand percent. This is only a direction where, uh, especially my generation, I'm, I'm a cusper, I'm a late Gen Z where we're obsessed with control in our daily life, whether that's our social media presence uh, how we are just presented in our various friend groups. Uh, we have more data in response to everything we do uh, than ever. And it makes us want to control our vices that much more. And so I do believe people have this urge and demand to want to know what they're consuming. And we see that with the rise of millennials and like RX bars, all these ingredient forward products where people want to know what they're consuming. And especially when it comes to EDM festivals, people are getting very good at testing substances before using and also wanting to be protected while they're at those festivals. When it comes to a product like Beatbox, a wonderful product that is one of the fastest growing products uh, in America in the alcohol category. And to me, that's not surprising whatsoever. We have a lot of similarities. It's this idea that we are a single package, non-carbonated high energy drink. And I can ask you too, when it comes to mind, if you guys were gonna go out to a club or a festival and you wanted something that was non-carbonated, what, what would you grab? Yeah, you don't you don't have a lot of options outside of water, yeah. right? You don't you don't you don't have a lot of options. And so I there's a little bit of a white not going after water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there was definitely this white space issue of one that product filling that void, and Beatbox has a couple of things with the resealability that's wonderful and the multi servings. Um, I I think there's a lot of work that could be done in kind of communicating a little bit more that multi servings within that unit, and that's not an issue that sure. they have in just them. This is something across the board where people don't communicate efficiently or effectively how much alcohol is in their product. And then you touched on liquid death, which has been, in my opinion, one of the greatest things to ever happen. Uh, so my, one of my best friends throughout college did not drink uh, at all throughout his career. And it's one of those things where he's this incredibly social, sociable guy, very confident. But a lot of people are not like that in a drinking setting. And it, I'm sure you've been asked before, if you're drinking the water at a drinking setting, why are you not drinking? What's in that right. cup? What's going on? And Liquid Death provided now millions of people the ability to go out and feel comfortable with what they're drinking, yeah. which I think is incredibly important because one of the third big, the third biggest issue, in my opinion, was peer pressure and the expectation to drink uh, because people don't want to feel like they're going down that route alone. 
And I think liquid death and also a cultural shift within millennials and Gen Z is going to push many brands to put out more products. I'm very confident in liquid death's future uh, because they're doing exactly things we want to do. We want to make people feel comfortable and that they have an option for every occasion that they attend that does not make them feel like they need to be someone else. And that to me is one of the most important things. Colin, where is it? We got, we got a comment from Alex. Alex goes, honestly, love the straw pack approach. So people don't have to out themselves. It's such a big part of safety during party culture for sure. Um, I do want to ask this Colin, how, what's like, how do you, who's buying this? Right. So is it, are y'all targeting like wholesalers and bars? Are y'all targeting the users? Like, can I buy, a six pack of jinx drinks and like take it out with me. Like, what does that look like? And Dan, I think you're about to ask a question. If I just side, like side swiped you, I'm sorry. You did. You did. It's all right. <laughs> um, so there's a few, a few different reasons or a few different uh, things we're targeting. So we are targeting uh, mostly 21 to, I would say 30 ish uh, individuals, male and female, uh, anything in between, uh, people that simply want something that's higher energy, fun and non-carbonated. And based off of our approach and being a startup where we are dependent on outside funding, at least for the next probably year or two, uh, it's this idea that we need to be able to recreate uh, probably a business case or a market case study for us to be able to grow outside of this. So it's trying to launch it in a way that maybe is not just the easiest way to get those couple sales, but in the way that's gonna get us long-term sales and so what that looks like for us is trying to partner with uh, event organizations going on around LA and Southern California uh, that are routinely organizing events within this 21 to 30 age demographic. Uh, and typically it's people that, I mean, we have a very broad consumer base. We have people that say boating moms that we end up being tagged in uh, who are out just having fun and they like it because it's sweet and uncarbonated. And then I'll also get the fraternity guy who's buying several eight packs, having a great time with his friends at the party. Uh, and so I think it's us really trying to just target a more or less a vibe of that consumer that they're having. And that's someone who's just that. like wanting to mix it in, feel lighter because we're slightly higher ABV and a little bit less volumes and no carbonation. So you can really tell physical difference after consuming it. Um, and then, sorry, there was one more part to your question. No, I was just, I was just seeing like who's who's going to be purchasing it, right? So is it just like who you, who are you guys targeting to, to to buy your stuff? Well, yeah, we're we're right now. Our initial target is very socialite event group, uh, event groups, some of the fraternity element because of those networking effects and their uh, prominence across the country, as well as we having experienced a lot of culture ourselves and being closely affiliated. Uh, or not closely affiliated with, but formally being a part of it, uh, it just made it an easy kind of low-hanging fruit for us to approach. I, I'm three of your demographics in what, two and a half, right? I was in a fraternity. I, I go to festivals. I go out quite a bit. And I'm not a boating mom. I'm just a boater. Um, not even a dad, just a, just a boat guy. Um, mm -hmm. And so these, these are the things where I think that we have. And then I've got a question. Um, space for trash is a lot less than a can. Um, the ability to stay safe is a lot less and to know what you're getting and what you're drinking compared to, and, and obviously it's not glass either, right? Which boating, mm -hmm. beach, pool, all of those things that you, you don't want glass or can't have glass um, next to it. Um, I know one of the things about festivals, parties, that kind of stuff is how quickly, if it's a single serving, how quickly you might have to go back to the bar. What, how many 
ounces is a is a product yeah so we are eight and a half ounces uh and six and a half percent abv so if you do that math uh it works out to about 92% of the unofficial standard drink in America. What does that mean? We're about one shot worth of vodka or tequila or one like. Okay. Yeah, I was I, I was actually about to ask you, what's the uh, alcohol of choice in your packs? So we use uh, the same alcohol that goes actually into beatbox and buzz balls. Uh, it's called orange wine uh, and it is made from the leftover uh, uh, products from like Tropicana orange juice production. Uh, and so it is uh, not a secret, but it's well known that spirits in the alcohol industry are taxed far higher uh, than wine. And wine is typically taxed higher than malt or sugar based products. And one of the unique opportunities is orange wine. Uh, unless you're, say, a vodka sommelier, you can actually get it proofed up pretty high. It legally still is a wine taxed like a wine. And then we dilute it down and uh, it actually tastes more like a spirit base. And so when you're non-carbonated and that flavor really comes through uh, stronger than a carbonated beverage, say like a White Claw, uh, it's very mm-hmm. important that you're not a sugar brew or a malt-based product. Uh, even though they have better tax advantages in the long term, the taste really does suffer when you're not car- – you can't hide behind the carbonation. Colin, I'm, I'm going to change topics completely here. Mm-hmm. What Talk to us about barrier of entry. I know it's obviously – there's some pretty significant barriers of entry – it's probably challenging. There's a mm-hmm. lot of players in the, the food and beverage space, mm-hmm. right? So for you guys as a startup, trying to get your name out there, trying to get yourselves into whether it's wholesale, retail, festivals, clubs, nightclubs, et cetera, talk just a little bit about that process for you and how you guys are going about that. Uh, barrier of entry has probably been one of the most daunting things. And having worked in it, I knew it was incredibly tough. And then going into this, it was even tougher than I could have imagined. Uh, I do not recommend if you're wanting to start a startup alcohol being the first one uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it is incredibly legally dense. Uh, there are a few massive players that will buy your company if it is doing well, only when it is important to them. So my brief alma mater, Anheuser-Busch, The Venture has been built up over 110 years of acquisitions. They will buy your company if you are doing well in that five to $10 million range and they've been observing you for a bit. The tough question is how do you get to that point? Uh, how do you set up a manufacturing line? How do you secure the appropriate licensing? How do you get funding to do a project uh, that often takes half a year, uh, more like a year to two years? Uh, it's incredibly, 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 incredibly difficult. Um, and mm-hmm. I think for us getting into now that we have a product that we designed to get into stores and be culturally relevant, getting into the stores has not been the most challenging part. But when it came to, say, finding a co-manufacturer, because it's like your options are raise a couple million dollars, open up a winery or brewery, start selling locally, start doing well locally, start to expand in your city and then start to go to a couple more cities, relying on the revenues from the on-premise brewery and restaurant work. Uh, otherwise, uh, you you can't do this without hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, the legal, the production, the minimums will just chew, chew through everything you have. So I think for us, there's probably ways we would have gone about this different. For us, we tried to design or we successfully designed our own form factor because we want it to be physically different than, say, a Capri Sun. Um, for one, defensibility reasons, but also ethical reasons to not just be like this, uh, like native child form factor. Uh, and so for us, 
it added additional years and additional barriers, especially in CPG. The hardest thing you can do is finding a co-manufacturer and then trying to find one that had uh, pouch filling expertise, one that had the appropriate alcohol licensing, one that was willing to work with a startup and that was domestic, narrowed it down to a few in the country. Uh, and it was incredibly challenging to get time with them. Uh, we worked with one for six months. And then they went out of business due to COVID. And then we had to redesign the pouch and set up with a new one that took an additional six months to get going with. They are typically a little bit slower, a little bit more antiquated. Uh, and the barrier to entry is incredibly high for uh, canned and beverage products, especially alcohol. It take, you, you apply for a license, four months, and then you get something back. And then I don't know if you got, how familiar you guys are with the alcohol licensing landscape, but you got to get a federal one. And then every single individual state has its own tax laws, its own classifications, and its own licensing prospects. So I have spent hundreds of hours reading through uh, tax law, licensing law, statutes, codes. We have spent $30,000, $40,000 on lawyers alone just helping dissect it. And I consider myself a pretty studious person. Uh, I date the daughter of a lawyer. We like. I've had all the help I can get, and it has been a painful process at best. I'm going to be honest. One of those things you said would have derailed me personally. So props to you for just <laughs> in the course, man. So where are y'all at now? Right. So after all of that, where, where are you guys at? Like, yeah, about that. we, we are at the exciting rubber hits the road. Uh, in the past two years, we've had this plan. We're going to build an amazing drink and we're going to get it in stores and we're going to sell a bunch of it. We have now since made that amazing drink and we're now pushing it onto these stores and now we need to create that pull to get them off the stores. So we entered uh, into our first stores in LA and kind of the Newport Beach area uh, last month. That was a grand total of three in the first couple of weeks. Uh, they did not have price tags. Some of them did not even put them on the shelf yet. I, people were going to our store locator trying to go in there and they can't find it. Why? Because it's behind the shelf. So there was, it, it went from a desk job to being a very much, you're on your feet, you're driving around, uh, trying to merchandise, Dang. excite, throw events. You're now you're like, how many trash cans do we have for this party? Like, do we have enough drinks? Are they going to be cold for this tasting event? Like, so uh, it was a big mental shift for us to go from nine to five desk jockeys trying to raise money. It was definitely not nine to five, by the way, but metaphorically, uh, sitting behind our desk all day to going back into the real world and trying to activate this real physical product. And so now it's all about trying to build, again, this business study around the stores that we are in. So now we're up to eight stores. And our issue is not getting into more stores. It's the support and the velocity of those sales in those stores that really matter. And so we don't want to be in a store where our product is not moving at all because that's a bad stamp for us. So we want to be in enough stores that tells other distributors and other investors that we're not just going around buying all the product ourselves. So once you hit those 25, 30 stores uh, and you're seeing a couple cases, so say an eight pack, of, two eight packs being bought a week per store, that's where we're really in this Goldilocks zone that we're trying to create over the next couple months because it took us a lot longer to get to market than we thought for various reasons. Uh, from that, we've been able to talk to some of the, the best seed investors in alcohol, the best individual, and also just some of our advisors. And we know what they want to see with our product. It's all about, can we execute now to get there? And it's just going to be a lot of hours driving, pushing, ambassadors, trying to activate people with merch, trying to get people to follow, trying to make silly TikToks that go viral. Uh, and so right now it's just trying to 
yeah, go go push the mission according to plan. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Well, that's all. I mean, fantastic work, Taylor. I'm not sure if you and I are going to stick on after this for a few yeah, minutes. Yeah. But fantastic work. You know, there's a there's a company here in Tampa called Circle. They are a water bottle company with a flavor filters on top. Um, mm-hmm. They went from a couple million dollar business to 77 million to 370 million all through what you're doing. So mm-hmm. um, I know that there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's rubber hitting the road and anything that we could do to, to help you. It, it sounds incredible. And it sounds like something that is, in my opinion, makes a ton of sense, especially on the generation right before you. And I even know my generation is very conscious about what they're consuming, what the ingredients are, how much they're consuming uh, and everything else. So, I mean, fantastic product, fantastic company. I'm looking forward to your continued success. Are you guys only in California right now? We are only in California. One of the beauties of alcohol is it's incredibly difficult to ship uh, across the state uh, and out of the country. We are working on a means to try to get uh, a roundabout way to do D2C, uh, but that's something that's probably a month or two out and is also not necessarily a top priority because most of CPG food related stuff comes through in-person exposure. And so yeah. I don't anticipate as driving many Facebook ads to, for purchasing. Now is the route distribution? Are you guys trying to self-fulfill? What's the the kind of plan? I, I know each state has different, you know, rules around yeah. distribution, but. E- each state is very much different and where we have the appropriate licensing to do that work. Uh, so Right now, we are partnered with kind of a interim distributor that works on a slightly different model than, say, some of the largest alcohol distributors do. Uh, And they're able to fulfill it. We kind of call those locations up, uh, pitch them the idea, send them some product, have someone drop off some samples. And then from there, if they enjoy, they like the product, then we can kind of activate the distributor to go drop it off. But they don't do anything aside from moving product from A to B. Uh, Other distributors can do more than that, like try to push more of the product sales for you. Uh, but those are for the much larger uh, alcohol brands. Oh, I got, I got kicked out right in the middle of that answer. I'm going to go rewatch. Sorry. <laughs> well, I assure you it was the best answer you've ever heard. It was a nail biter at, uh, at a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colin, thanks again for hanging out with us, man. Um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, um, you know, be a support from you all uh, or be a support to you all from our end and, and keep obviously um, preaching, preaching the good word and what you're doing. So we appreciate everything you're doing. And, and just one more time, how, how can people get in contact with you? Check out Jinx Drinks. I mean, I know I listed it obviously in the, in the live, but people are listening. How, how can people find you? Yeah. Uh, you can reach out to my LinkedIn, just call Michael. You can reach out to Maddie. You can go to our Instagram or website, jinx.drinks. Uh, we regularly check all of that. Uh, we have enough followers where we can have those relationships uh, with everybody. Uh, and more than happy, if you're doing a food and beverage product, uh, it's a crazy route out there. Uh, people akin it to a knife fight. And uh, you got to be ready for anything. So if you have any questions, do do reach out. Awesome. Cool. Well, Colin, thanks again, man. We'll be in touch. Have a great rest of your day, thanks. okay? Thanks, Absolutely. Colin. Thank great Dan, sorry, got kicked out. You know the joys of doing this from your car. Joys of doing um, from the car. Dude, I, you know it's a, it's a tough grind. I give these guys a, a ton of credit. Um, yeah, it's there. There's a lot of hurdles, and 
uh, I think that that probably discourages most, um, which yeah. means to me that the product tastes good. It has an opportunity to, to grow and build, um, you know, from there. And I know that there's a, it's a, it's a labor of love now, and now it's just a matter of growing. And, you know, I, I think there's so many use cases, you know, I, I mentioned them. I mean, for me, the festival scene, the, the club yeah. scene, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like one of the other things I didn't even think about, like, how many times, not you now, but like before, like went to a bar and were worried about like people like spilling your drink or knocking it over, right? Like yeah. you have a pouch now, it's not going to spill, right? Like you can now be in a large group of people, not worry about your drink, not only not getting, you know, anything put in it, but now you don't have to worry about it. It's spilling, right? Um, trash, right? Cans yeah. take up a ton of space, right? Bottles take up a ton of space. A pouch that's it can be sucks compact. dry. Right. Yeah. So to me, there, there's so many different opportunities and it's so cool to see. And, you know, that, that beatbox company that I was talking about is it, they're similar to those like water in a, a paper container, you know what I'm talking okay. about? Yeah. Um, they're similar to that. Right. And so I understand that, that premise, but to me, this just, there, there's so many differentiating value propositions that well, you know, I'm rooting for them. And I think too, we didn't talk about this. We talked about nostalgia backstage with him about the website. So if y'all go check out Jinx Drinks website, it's like super eighties vibes. Um, and he's talking about nostalgia. We didn't really talk about it. It's essentially an adult Capri Sun, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's really what it is. And, and, and I think, you know, I think there's nostalgia in all of us going home from school, opening the, you know, slapping that straw in there and, 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 you know, yeah. after, after a long day at school. And so I, I think there's, I think there's probably a lot of nostalgia play there um, from, from that product perspective, us all being adults now. Yeah. I'm, I'm super, you know, looking forward to, to watching them grow and, you know, I hope they're able to get over that hump. We've gotten over so many humps now it's now yeah. it's the market driving, but it, it seems to me I'm excited, you know, whenever I get the chance to go out to California or whenever they make it over here um, to give it a shot. But, you know, that's a, that's a lot of hard work and we don't talk to a lot of CPG companies uh, on this show, but it's such a different route than just building an app, throwing, yeah, throwing it in the app store, having a relationship in an industry that you used to be in. Right. Um, so I'll give these, you know, these folks a ton of credit. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, and last, uh, last but not least, want to give a shout out to Kent Dodds. He just released his very first course on Epic web dev. So for those of you, <laughs> Uh, Kent, we interviewed Kent two or three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think, um, on his, on his upcoming kind of really this, this huge classroom initiative that he's doing. So, uh, go check out Epic web dev. He just released his first course. He's got plenty more coming from there. So Dan, it was good to see you, buddy. As always, thank you. Thank you for being flexible and and doing the interview in your car after a uh, fire alarm. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Thanks everybody for watching and, uh, we'll see y'all next week. Peace. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Unicorn Finders. If you found any of that interesting or helpful at all, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or want to be a part of our podcast, be sure to email us at info at theunicornfinders.com. And while you're at it, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe us five stars and share it with a friend or two. We'll see you next week.